I'm excited to speak to you this morning about this topic, and I think um, probably just because this is a topic that we don't talk about much in church. A lot of times we'll stick to big ticket items, and so I like those weekends when we actually go to another place and another layer, and obviously that I, I, I believe there's nothing in our human experience that we cannot find Scripture to tie it into, and so this is one of those days, and um, so I think you would actually hear more about this topic in a, um, in a corporate training setting or in, in therapy than, than you would in church. And so I love being able to take that and, and talk about it as, as a body of faith and decide what do we want to do with this uh, after it, to make ourselves accountable to this topic, what are we going to do with it? And uh, so I want to start at, at one verse I'm actually just going to give you two scriptures today, and I'm going to spend 90% of my time on the second one, but I want to start in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. I'm going to read from the ESV, and this is a verse that we we look at, we've looked at often, frequently preached about, taught about. If you went to Sunday school or you're in a life group, you hear about this verse, but I think we need to just kind of pause a minute and let us soak on it this morning, and it's this, Proverbs 8, 18, 21. Death and life, everybody say that with me, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so this proverb starts with a lot of punch to just say that you and I have the ability to speak death over things that were once alive and doing great and healthy, and we can kill them with our words. We can destroy something with our, with our, our mouth. Obviously a spiritual principle. Or we can take that same mouth and we can bless something and give life to it. We can speak a blessing into people and into, into some things that we're involved in and they will restore and resurrect and revive just because of what you've had come out of your mouth. So it's that important. It's that big. And communication is not just about what is said. It's also or equally what is is heard. So there tends to be this big gap between what somebody is saying and actually what the listener is, is hearing. Now, on this topic this morning, uh, I'm, I'm not coming to you as the expert. There are a lot of people in this room who know me well, and they would agree that this is not something I'm the expert on. So we're learning all of this together this morning, and I hope we walk away with something great. Communication is not just someone talking. It's not just data transfer. But our communication has a lot of weight to it in that there's emotion behind it, that we have a lot of feelings, and we got a lot of history. And so the more you start thinking about how you are communicating and using your words, the more you have to realize that if I I try to boil it down to this, this one statement, and all I can come up with is this. It's actually 
four rivers, individual rivers, that are pouring into the same ocean of communication. And those rivers are, are, are this, ideas and opinions and maturity and backstory. We're all communicating from those four rivers, trying to get them to all come into one pool, and then that one pool accurately communicate what our heart is trying to say. Because the Bible says from the abundance of where? The heart, the mouth speaks. So we're trying, communication is, is actually secondhand information. It's the heart that's trying to get it out there, and our tongue is the one doing the work. So we're trying to really communicate what's going on, and we're doing that through our own ideas and our level of maturity, our opinion about the topic, and then our history or experiences or backstory, all coming together to dump into an ocean of communication. And so among these rivers and among this the, the communicator, and then the listener, there are gaps. And in those gaps, we have the ability to miscommunicate because there's so much room to, as a listener, misunderstand what a communicator is trying to say. Let me give you an example. Jimmy White is a former pastor in this area, and he did a dissertation on this topic. What do people hear when I preach? And he basically wanted to know, when I'm speaking on a topic, it's obviously one angle coming from my direction out to you. It's mass communication. And with the peril of mass communication is you've got a lot of people interpreting it. So he spent months researching, what are you actually hearing when I'm talking? And the results were astounding, and they were not what he anticipated. And so when he got, got them back, he realized that people were not really picking up on what he was trying to say, and he was a little bit frustrated by it. Now, I can vouch for this because there are times when I'm communicating something, and in my mind, it's crystal clear, but then I get an email from one of you, and I realize it wasn't clear. And so people will ask me, hey, what's going on? What did you mean when, when you said that? Hey, that's the wrong scripture. Hey, I think that's out of context, and I'm not encouraging you to do those things. And I always laugh when I, I get them, not, not because I think you, what you've said is funny or I'm disrespecting it, because I always respond to them the best that I can. But I laugh because in our humanity, in our experience, people are hearing different things and we turn what once was not a hard issue. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to say things that, that bother people. So it's, it's not a hard issue. But somehow between the speaking and the listening, in that gray area, miscommunication lurks up, uh, lifts its head up. That's where it's, it's, it's lurking in the shadow. And miscommunication takes place. Actually, Studies of family therapy are indicating that upward of 80%, upward of 80% of marriage issues or problems or, or tensions are due to miscommunication. Sociology tells us that friendships will feud and then be long forgotten over miscommunication. Industrial psychology tells us that tensions in the workplace are mostly due 
to miscommunication, your frustration with your boss, their frustration with you, your frustration with a colleague, all due to miscommunication. That we aren't hearing what other people are, are truly saying, and there becomes this ability for us to have animosity. So the tongue truly does have the power to give life and to give death. The tongue has caused all kind of problems in the world. When we look at it, it doesn't take us long to turn back a few chapters in history and realize that wars have begun over the tongue. Businesses have toppled. Entire people groups have relocated. And even suicides have been inspired based upon something someone said. I want to give you a little bit of context before I hop into Ephesians today because we're about to hear from the Apostle Paul on this topic, and I want to tell you why he's choosing it. So I want to give you a little bit of context. He's teaching in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a big, prosperous city in Asia Minor. The famous Silk Road ends right here in this city. It was home to a very popular idol named Diana, whose temple would become one of the seven wonders of the world. Ephesus was a major political and intellectual city, even boasting of having a medical school. This is why Paul decides to take an intellectual topic like our words and use them to encourage this community on what they should and should not be doing with their mouths. So instead of tackling these things that we, we would call the big, the big sins, the big obvious ones, he's saying, listen, if you're really this smart, then we can go to a, a new place. Okay, if, if you're this intellectual, if you've proven yourself to be this a group of people who's got it all together, fantastic. This means I can talk to you about something a little bit more sensitive. And so this message, this topic, has rolled its way through time all the way from this community in Ephesus to 2851 West BB Caps Expressway. And we're going to hear what God says about words. Ephesians chapter 4, this is the only verse I'm going to give you today. So if you have your Bible, iPad, or app, whatever it is, I want you to go to verse 29, and I want you to look at this verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. When I read this as a kid, and I'm sure it was in Sunday school and this is one of those that kind of stick, stick with you. And this particular topic always made me, how I interpreted that as, as, a, as a young boy, was don't, don't cuss, okay? And I, I don't say that to be comical. That, that's just how I thought it meant. Don't let any unwholesome word come out of, out of your mouth. He's talking about cussing, so I shouldn't cuss, okay? So my friends are cussing, I shouldn't cuss. If I feel like I want to cuss, I shouldn't cuss. If I hit my hand with a hammer, I should definitely not cuss. Do not cuss. Okay? And that's how I check. I just, I just kind of checked it off and went on my way. But when you drill down, this is not what he's saying at all. He strategically chooses the word unwholesome. 
And when he says, do not let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, the definition of unwholesome is exactly what, what you think it is. To use words that would keep someone from being whole. So an unwholesome word or string of words would be words that tear things and people apart, that keeps them from being unified, that prevents them from coming together. An unwholesome word. So let's continue in verse 29. He continues talking. But only what is helpful... For building others up, watch this, according to whose needs? Their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Now don't let this fly by you this morning, or don't think this is so shallow that it doesn't apply to you. Because what Paul is saying to this group of intellectuals is this, your words matter. And they are beneficial to the people in your life. That when you get opportunity to speak or opportunity to share, opportunity to be heard in your relationships and friendships and all these things that the Holy Spirit is orchestrating in your life, when you open your mouth, it can benefit people. It can benefit them, their needs. So here is a big shift of thinking, I think, that we all have to really, I mean, phase one of changing this and turning this big ship around on words would be this, that what if we learn to communicate in their language, being the the listener, in order to build them up so they can be whole? What if about when we talk, it's not really about us, it's about them? What if it's about our kids? What if it's about our spouse? What if it's about the people we're surrounded with? What if our words are really more about them than us trying to get away or get leverage or increase something in our lives, sell our opinion? What if it's really more about them? If we want to lead well and love well, we need to communicate like Stephen Covey says, which is with the end in mind. So why do the same words land differently for different people? Why can we say something in a crowd and one person high five and the other send an email? Why is that? Why why can we be talking at home to two kids and one walks away encouraged and one discouraged over the same set of words? Why is that? Well, the answer to that has layers, but if I were going to answer in one word, it would be this, temperaments temperaments. Here's why. You and I speak and we listen out of temperament. We speak from temperament, we listen, we hear from temperament. This is how this fleshes out at at home. I speak in my own temperament. Robbie speaks in her own temperament. I hear in my own temperament. Robbie hears in her own temperament. And between me speaking in mine and her listening with hers, there is a gap where miscommunication can take place. And it's in that gap that the 
enemy just wrings his hands and loves the idea of someone walking away when your intent was to speak life and they perceive it as death. He loves that. Personality and temperament are two different things. Okay, now I'm not going to get crazy on this. I just want to explain a little bit. Personality is the what, okay? So it is a summary of behavior and feelings and emotions. We all have one. Um, we, we, th- there's a lot of things that go into the development of one's personality, but just know for the sake of this message that personality is the what, but temperament is the why behind the what, Temperament is is what's driving it. It's it's the fuel that's in the tank. It's it's what causes the 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 personality to flesh out the why. Okay? And so let me, let me just ask a few questions just, just to get the juices flowing and for you guys to know exactly where I'm going with this, okay? How many of you consider yourselves to be an extrovert? Okay? Anybody? I got a room full of introverts, really? Okay, extroverts. There you are. Okay, I was about to shift this message completely to a time of meditation. You are extrovert. This means that your thoughts and your words go out. They are extroverted. And many times you will speak first and think later, and that gets you in trouble, but because you're an extrovert, you don't care. You got to get it out. And so your ideas formulate out here. They are, you, you want to get it out. You got to talk about it. it it's, it's not put together yet. It's not polished. It's not pristine, but it's out there. This is my idea. This is my thought. This is what I think we all should do with our, our lives. And this is what you should do with your life. And this is what you should do with that guy you got. And, and so all these ideas, and they're out here and they're messy. And when you get a room of extroverts together, they're like ants. They're crawling all over each other's ideas and, and they're interrupting each other. And one's like, You shut up. I got to talk now. No, you shut up. You've had enough time. And they're going, and the, the introvert raises their hand and said, I need everybody to just take a breath because I know what's going on. Okay? The extrovert is formulating out here. Okay, so how many of you are introverts? Okay, wow. Okay, I'm so sorry. No, I'm kidding. This means your thoughts typically stay in unless someone pries it out of you. And you think a lot before you speak, and when you do, you don't like being interrupted because it took so much energy to just get the ball rolling. That when you get interrupted, you're like, hey, 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 just let me finish. Okay? For the most part, the introvert formulates in, in here. So they have conversations with themselves, and they think about it, and they say, I just want to take a minute, and I want to pause, and I want to reflect, and I want to meditate on it, and I want to pray about it, and I want to talk to a friend about it, and then I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to present it. It's going to be real pretty in a box. it got a bow on it. it got a little name tag on it, and everybody's going to enjoy it because it's my idea, and it's polished, and it's put together. It's well thought out. Okay? That's what the introvert does. The next layer to this is that some of you are people-oriented. You like being around people. So when you were a kid and your mom would punish you and stand you in, in the corner, does that still happen? They just My mom used to stand me in, in, in the corner. I hated it. So she'd put me in the corner tell me to go to my, my room. That was even worse, you know, complete isolation. I wanted to be around people. And so isolating you was a form of punishment to get you away from it. And so you will choose to be around people before you choose to be alone, okay? So then some of you are task-oriented, 
and you prefer a task over being around people. You want something to do rather than have someone to talk to. And men, we are notorious for this. You want to go to your shop, you want to go to your garage, you want to get under a car with a wrench, and just you and a car and a wrench, and nothing else. Okay, just, I want something to do and nobody to talk to. Don't bother me, all right? So then, then there's this curveball, and it's this. You can be an introvert who likes to be around people, but you don't want to talk. You just want to sit and listen. You don't want to contribute. You just want to be there. So you sip your coffee, and you smile a little bit, giggle, <laughs> and then you just walk off, okay? You don't get engaged at all, and if you do, it's later through a text, Okay, those in, in, introverts, you love texting, okay? And then you can be an extrovert who would rather spend your energy on a task and not waste it on a conversation. So just to be clear, just because you're extroverted doesn't mean you like people, and just because you're introverted doesn't mean you want to hide behind your laptop all day, okay? So there's all of that going on in this room right now. Some of you hate it when we tell you to high-five somebody. So you immediately just dig in your purse and get some Germex, like, don't, don't come over here, I'm Germexing. For a lot of you, this explains a lot of this. The 90% of you are like, I'm an introvert, okay? And so this is why when we tell you to high-five somebody, you don't, because you don't want to be touched, Right? So I want to give you just a few simple keys to choosing the right words. And the first one is going to be this. Your temperament determines the words that you're going to speak. What I just talked about, what I just went through, these temperaments, these examples are going to determine because from that you are going to speak. And they have some languages with them, okay? I know you've heard of the love languages. That's not what I'm going to give you this morning. But I'm going to give you four languages that temperament speaks from. The first one is people and fun, okay? So this would be um, your, your extrovert person, people, fun. The sentence that typically comes out of people and fun is how many are going to be there? That's like the, the underlying statement. Uh, where are we going tonight? What are we going to do tonight? And so you got this person who might be real animated. I'm obviously real animated. I, I like talking and sharing and asking questions. I like hearing about people's lives. It's not that I'm trying to pry. I just want to know. Like, I want to know what you're about. I want to know your story. And so I tend to be this extroverted uh, person. I like having fun. I like laughing. I like trying to make people laugh. And so there's, there's this real animation that comes with those types of people. Then there's the second type of people where it's power and control. And so your temperament is, is authoritative, and a lot of times you will say things from boldness that makes other people uncomfortable. For example, I may be animated, but I get uncomfortable when other people are awkwardly bold. Okay? For example, I was in a restaurant uh, a few weeks ago, and this lady beside me is like, hey, there's something wrong with this Diet Coke. And, and I mean, my hands start to sweat. You know, it's like, I was like, oh, gosh, you know, this is going to be so, isn't that embarrassing? You're like listening to other people's conversations. You're like, what in the world is going on? 
I was eavesdropping this week. I mean, I mean, I overheard a conversation this week in a restaurant, and the, this pastor was talking. And I had headphones on, but it was so loud I could hear him. So I was like, what is this guy outraged about? And I just popped one off, you know, because that's what, that's what we do when we're being sneaky. So I take my left ear off. And he's like, I just want to tell you that I'm that good. He's talking to this guy. Every time I talk, like people are on the edge of their seats, man, because I'm that good. My hands just got sweaty. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like he is outwardly bragging about his skill set as a communicator. I had to get up and leave. Like I couldn't even work anymore. I couldn't focus anymore. I had to go somewhere. Because this power and boldness, these are the people in here who would go, let's go, everybody, let's make it happen. Everybody in the van right now, let's go. It's time to leave. Then there's this calm and harmony person that's very thoughtful. These are the people who are like, I don't care where we go eat, I really don't. No, seriously, where, where do you want, wherever you want to eat. I don't care, I'm just, I'm just a little hungry. I don't. I don't care where we go, though. You just, you just choose. No, you choose. No, you choose. No, you choose. Calm, harmony, okay? Then there's perfection and order. And these are the people who would go, do your shoes really belong on the kitchen table? Okay, these are people who everything has a place and everything has an order and it needs to go there or life isn't going to work. The, the, these are temperaments, okay? And so we're speaking from them. We're speaking words and tone, um, out, out from that, that temperament. And the bad part about that, or what adds another layer to that, is we, we also listen with that, okay? So the second thing is this. Your temperament determines the words that you need to hear. All right? And I'm, I'm going to quickly give you an example of this. We said that temperament is the why. Well, this is it, okay? Those of you who have an extroverted temperament, you need to hear approval, and attention, and acceptance, and a sense of control. So if you're listening to somebody talk to you, and you feel like suddenly you're not accepted, you start to get puffed up. If you feel like you're losing control, you get puffed up. If you feel like you're not being affirmed, and men, we got a real big problem with this. When we feel like our wives are not affirming us, we get Puffed up. I tell you right now, I'm the man of this house. <laughs> house is going to go down right here, right? We start adding, you know, biblical phrases. I'm the priest of this home, and this is how it's going to go down, honey. Those of you who are introverted, you need to hear self-worth, respect, safety, and support. So if you're listening to a conversation and you are not hearing that you have worth or value in it, that if you feel your respect, if you feel like it's not a safe environment, like you can't communicate your words and they be received safely, if you feel like you're not being supportive, you get puffed up. You start walking off. You start checking out. You start dialing the volume down on them, and your own voice becomes loud, and your thoughts become loud, and suddenly what you've heard through your temperament deflects and comes up out of your mouth from your temperament. And this is how it all starts to go down. 
So understanding number three, temperament, understanding temperament changes every conversation we have, okay? I got just a few minutes left, and I'm going to spend them applying this. Why can temperament, understanding temperament change my conversation? I say this more, I say this next phrase more than any other phrase in my life. When I'm talking to people, when I'm trying to, to coach people on this topic, when I'm trying to talk to myself about this topic, it's this. The number one thing is this, initiate a pause. Initiate a pause. When I'm talking to somebody and I feel myself getting emotional, I got to take a breath. I got to stop. I got to wipe my sweaty hands. Okay? I got to initiate a pause. I got to take a breath. I got to think. This person is not out to get me. Okay? This person is not attacking me. This person is not attacking my character. This person is not saying I'm a bad leader. But what are they really saying? And if I'm not careful, filters begin to fall in there. Filters from insecurity. Filters from, from past experience. Filters from just my, my, own, my own life and weaknesses begin to fall into place. And now every word that's being said gets filtered through this experience that I've had. If I'm not careful. And I have to initiate a pause and let myself reset so that I hear from the heart of that person, not from the voice of my own past experiences. The second thing is, what is the goal of the conversation? Because if the goal is for you to be right, the probability of you miscommunicating has just escalated tremendously, exponentially. Okay, So if, if the goal is for you to always be right and for me to always be wrong or vice versa, then we are escalating the opportunity for there to be great miscommunication between the two of us. Okay, But if my goal is to make something or someone wholesome, it makes a big difference in me. If my goal when I talk to you is for the end goal, for you to be encouraged and to lift you up, and this is something I'm having to practice at, with my family, with our staff, with our volunteer base, to make sure that we're speaking life, to make sure that we're encouraging, to make sure that people are walking away, even if it's confrontational. This doesn't mean that you get soft-spined when it comes to being a, a leader. Leadership is hard. And so when you're doing that, you can do it with love and try not not to offend and do the best you can by trying to speak life upon it. Num number three, there is no temperament that is better than any other. Now, I'm saving you a lot of money in therapy right here if you'll just listen. Okay? Because what you want to do is drag your husband to therapy and say, fix him. Okay? There is no temperament better than, than the other. This also doesn't create an excuse, men, for us to go, you knew what you was getting into and you married me. This is how I was 20 years ago and it's how I am right now. Why? Because I'm a man. Right? We have to be open to sanctification, the process of change, the process of becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus this is why Paul is after us on, on this topic. He's like, listen, if you want to really be a good follower, if you want to be an intellectual, win here. Understand that what you say is huge to the people ar ar around you. Okay, But what 
it does mean here is that it's necessary for us to respect our differences. I'm not trying to make everybody like me. There was a time in my life, this is going to hurt me to say this out loud. Young 20s, and I really believed that like one of my goals in life was that everybody be on the same faith journey as me. Now, I know it sounds really arrogant coming out of my mouth because it was arrogant coming out of my mouth. I just, it's wrong of us to think if the world were like me, it would be a great place. You know what was awesome about church this morning? What was awesome is before all of us got here because <laughs> it was perfect. Our church was perfect. Until a person showed up here this morning. Maybe it was me. But you had all of us here? It's definitely not perfect. And there's beauty in that. There's sacredness in that. So instead of just trying to convert each other, man, let's just kind of celebrate it. Let's just honor it. Let's just respect it. Let's just figure out a solution to loving each other in spite of differences. Okay, four. This means that we need to give some grace. This does not mean that the extrovert is allowed to control everything, but it does mean that I'm going to allow you to be you and you're going to allow me to be me. And in Christian circles, grace comes across as a buzzword, as a cliche. But hear me, Paul is saying this is very important, that we extend some grace in this area and, and realize that, that you are a gift to the church, and I am too. And when we put those two gifts together, there is synergy. We're better together than we are apart. Five, you have a word choice. Okay, Ephesians 4, 29 starts with this. Do not let. Do not let it. Meaning, do not permit it. You can control it. That your life can be subjected to the work of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you are self-disciplined. Does that mean that you're never going to think anything bad in in your mind? No, of course not. But it does mean that's where it's going to stay. It means that my mind has a front door and I got a back door too. And just as quick as it comes in, I can let it out. I'm not going to let... That word come out of my my mouth. Now, again, self-confession. There were times in my life where I, with great, um, as George Bush would say, with great strategery. Some of y'all will think about that later. With great strategy, a a conscious decision I made, I'm going to formulate some words and I'm going to put them together because I want to hurt your feelings. And we do that from hurt, we do that from bitterness, we do it from an emotional anger, and we say, you just wait till I get an opportunity to speak because I am coming out of here with a sword in my mouth, and I am going to hurt you. And you're going to get in your car, and you're going to cry about it because that's what my whole plan was. And Paul's saying, it doesn't have to be this way. You can have self-control, self-discipline, because you are in Christ you have access to that fruit of the Spirit of having self-control. Don't let it come out. An easy way of saying this is every word that you use is a word that you choose. Okay, 
And last, never use your temperament as an excuse or as a weapon. Growing up, my mom, I've told you this many times, she used to spank me with a fly swatter. That was her form of discipline. And um, I got bigger and bigger, and she would break them on me. You know, those little plastic ones, she'd snap them off, I'd laugh. So to counter my my laughter, she would say to me, you just wait till your dad gets home. What she was doing was using his temperament as a weapon. And boy, was it a weapon. (laughs) She'd say, listen, when he gets home, he's going to wear you out, and I'm going to watch every minute of it. I may pop some popcorn and watch him do it. When we use our temperament as a weapon, as an, you just wait till I show up over there. You just wait till I get home. Or you flip that, and the introvert tends to say things like, every time we talk, you hurt my feelings. I, I wish you wouldn't tell me how you really feel. That's a weapon. And so when, when we do that, we are degrading this ability for us to speak life into circumstances. Some of you are here this morning right now, and this is how I I want to land this. You are here right now, and and you you are hurt over words. And some of you are here right now, and you feel guilty or shamed or condemned because you know there's somebody in the world right now who's hurting because of something you opened your mouth and said to them. And I believe with all that is in me, and I don't say this as a pastor. I say it as just someone who believes in Jesus. This is a Christian. I think we have to get involved in that process. I say it's one thing. If, if I strike you down with words and then I run to the Father and with big heart I say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sin. I repent of what I've just said. God is faithful, and he will forgive that. But it doesn't fix the fact that I've just shattered you to pieces. So I always say this when I'm talking about this topic is I believe the Lord wants to take us from repentance to restoration. And he uses us in that process. God's not going to send an angel to apologize for you. So as people of faith, as people who are believers, we have to have the humility to go to people and with the same mouth that shattered them, heal them. And say, I I, I want you to know, I am very sorry for what I did. I know it was wrong, and I'm sorry. And you may not be ready to forgive me, and I'm fine with that too. But I want you to know that I've made this right right with God, and I want to make it right with you. And I'm asking you to forgive me for what I did, for what I said, for what I spoke into your life. And I'm sorry. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit is able to do things that you and I just can't do. And I don't think it's ironic that after Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, the very next verse, you know what it says? Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Is it any irony that those two are back to back? I don't think so. Paul's doing this great thing on on words, and he's like, listen, don't put aside what the Holy Spirit asks of you, wants you. You let him drive this, and he's going to fix this, okay? So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let God use us. 
to heal some folks, to speak some life, to do some apologies. Some of you need to sit down with your kids today and say, I'm sorry. Some of you need to sit down with your spouse and say, I'm sorry that I cut you that, that, that way. I'm sorry. And I'm going to be a better person. We need, to, we need to get involved in this. So let's be careful. Okay? I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray a couple of different things.